everyone is a star child made of stardust and the infinite potential of the universe. This extraordinary fearless something in each of us clamors for freedom from the bonds of fear, conformity, and an ordinary life. Welcome to Dr. Durr's Living in the Sweet Spot, where practical tools and solutions from the intersection of mind-body medicine, science, and spiritual well-being awaken and empower you to live out your infinite potential, to live life in the sweet spot. Each and every one of us want to matter, and we tell our stories in an effort to be seen, to be heard, to be understood. I'm your host, Dr. Balanay Durr, here in the sweet spot. And joining me for this conversation today is my guest, John W. Fountain, an award-winning journalist and professor of journalism. Hey, how are you? Good, good. You know, of course, I'm so I'm so glad to have you back. And as you as you well know, I um, just love our conversations. Um, you know, the, 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 when you were here last time, we were, you know, we were talking about uh, the importance of fatherhood and we had to push the, the pause button. So we really kind of didn't get into um, talking about the importance of storytelling, um, your reasons for doing that, and also your trip to Ghana. So, of course, I wanted to bring you back so that we could continue to have, have that conversation. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure to be back. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, you, you again, you know, it's, it is absolutely my pleasure. And, um, you know, as I said, you know, before, of course, I, I value your, your great wisdom and counsel and experience as one of the, the men folk in my village. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is, it is, um, uh, you, you have been a great service to, to, to you know, to, to me and, and, and my family as part of my village. And so, uh, thank well, you so I, much for that. My pleasure. Thank you. So for, 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 for those of you who may not be familiar with um, the, 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 the beautiful poetic writing and storytelling uh, about um, social justice, about his own journeys, uh, about our stories, uh, again, John W. Fountain, he is a native son of Chicago's West Side. He's an award-winning columnist and journalist. He's written for um, some of the, you've written for some of the big ones, right? The Tribune, yes. the uh, New York uh, Times, the Washington Post. Um, again, like I said, you are, and you've had a, had a Sunday column with the Chicago Sun-Times for about 13 years. Yes. Uh, again, again, you're a professor of journalism at uh, Roosevelt University. You're a publisher uh, of five books, uh, including uh, True Vine, A Young Black Man's Journey of Faith, Hope, and, and Clarity. Then there's also Dear Dad, Reflections on Fatherhood. And then there is um, your most recent book, the fifth book, that uh, that we're gonna that we're gonna talk about in addition to 
There is, um, you know, again, your your uh, trip to Ghana because you were a Fulbright scholar in 2021 to 22. And so you spent a year there teaching and doing research at the University of Ghana and uh, on a, working on a project called Africa Calling Portraits of Black Americans Drawn to the Motherland. Yes. Thank you. Well, you're 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 more you are more than welcome, and um, as I as I like to say, there is, um, uh, you know, your gifts and talents, and the beautiful way in which you share it is is what I is is, and and all that you are and represent. As I like to say, that you know, you are a beautiful masterpiece in the soul of a man. Well, praise God. Thank you, mom and grandmother. <laughs> yes. Thank you. And all the imperfections are mine. You, you say that again? All the imperfections are mine. I claim them. So anything good I give to my mother and my grandmother. Oh, that is that is that is that is that is a sweet thing to a sweet thing to say. And um Bruce. you know, of course I love the way um that you honor the ancestors. Um, uh, because, you know, you know, it's interesting, John, for me, Mm. I was having this conversation, having this conversation too, with other folks. And I'm saying to them that, um, you know, God as source, right. Is the source of our everything, but, but, Mm. but God as spirit needs hands and feet, right. Yes, yes. Need some hands and some feet. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And, and 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 that is right in the form of us and in the form of the people who come in our lives and in yes. in service to us. Um, so so yeah, and so of course in our in our community, our way of also is is to honor the ancestors. Yes, you know we were having a conversation earlier, and uh, one of my I find myself talking more about my grandmother and my mother and the lessons that they taught me. And, you know, as you were talking, I thought about growing up on um, on the west side of Chicago. And one of the things that became so evident is that, um, especially in the church, um, that I was a, I became a natural born storyteller because they would make us testify in the middle of service which meant that we had to t- give honor to the to God and to the saints and then tell the goodness of the Lord. So you do that enough times and you become a, a kind of natural storyteller. The other part of that for me is that my mother was an avid uh, reader and she would uh, voraciously read the newspaper, the local newspapers in Chicago and um, and so I became a, uh, a current events and history buff uh, even before I became officially a writer. Um, and I, I, again, I have my mama to blame for that. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, um, yeah, you know, in, in our conversations, um, there have been, you know, some beautiful stories that, that you have shared, which I... Um, actually want to go ahead and, you know, get into that. And, you know, part of the other conversation that we had that for me was kind of surprising was when, um, was, was just 
some things you started to say when, as I was kind of, you know, reviewing some things, getting ready for this conversation, I was looking for, looking for something and, um, forgot, I forgot about this, but I came across this journal entry that I had made Labor Day weekend back in 2014. And it was after a conversation that you and I had. And so I'd forgotten about it. And then I sent it to you and I was like, so John, what do you think about this? And, <laughs> and, uh, and of course, um, your, your, your response as a storyteller, it was, it was, I was like, wow. So, so go ahead and share, and, and share that, share that with us. Well, I think when I got your note, I was really, um, I won't say I was surprised, uh, so to speak, but I was, um, it was clear to me that I, um, you know, that my conversation had had some resonance and some, uh, some impact and, you know, that ain't pat myself on the back or anything like that. The point is, you know, I think we have so many conversations with people. I once heard Wynton Marcellus say that when he is with people, he learned that he doesn't have so much time. He doesn't have so much time to invest with everyone. He says, but what he tries to do when he is with someone is to be present in that moment when the, when he's there. And he is very cognizant of what he says and and uh, and how he leaves people feeling. And so, um, you know, when we get those nuggets, when we're fortunate enough, and especially as writers, because we're always writing and putting things out in the universe and we don't know what's going to come back. So you brought it back to me in a way. And, uh, and it was, it was interesting for me to, to read and to think about it and, um, um, and to realize that, that our conversation had had some impact and some resonance and, and even more deeply, you know, it is, it is the law of the harvest. When you put something out, it doesn't just come back one, it comes back, you know, in multiplicity, it comes back, um, you know, in, 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 in bountiful, as a bountiful harvest sometimes. So it, um, it blessed me to read, uh, to read your reflections and uh, so it was, it fulfilled, uh, I think, to the law of reciprocity. Yeah, so I definitely get what you're saying because there are times where I've said something to someone and didn't realize it had the impact that that it has. And um, I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I'm thinking to myself about what you said about, about church and having to <laughs> Because, <laughs> you, you know, I recall, I recall growing, you know, me a little growing up, in, growing up in a Baptist church. So I get yeah. it. <laughs> you had to test, you had to testify right. You couldn't just launch into your testimony. You had to give honor to God and to the pastor and the assistant pastor and all the visiting ministers to the mothers. And to the first lady. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're saying, I thank God for being here. Okay. Tell a little bit of a story. Yeah. So, yes. yeah. So, anybody who's grown up in the black church, they know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yeah. <laughs> 
oh god and, and and of course you know there's the giving you know which i of course i i get its importance right yeah. is is the you know giving glory and honor to the creator yes because he is our source um yes. the source of everything if we allow him to be so but it's just again just thinking about you know some of the some of those one of the most wonderful wonderful times and experiences uh, and how you get groomed and shaped because somebody else i didn't think of it this way but somebody else recently complimented me and said that you know said that that how good of a storyteller i am and mm. so as you talked about that i i said well maybe that's where i got it from being in church <laughs> give honor yes give me honor give me honor um and um yeah. you know they say train them up how you want them to go train them up how you want them to go right yes yeah yes. train them up yes. how you want them to go so i so i just so I, of course i just wanted to acknowledge acknowledge <laughs> that as i was thinking about it and um but i was also thinking about you know some of the things that we um talked about and um also the timing of things which was um that your mom had recently transitioned after a long bout of struggling with dementia yes. about you know the conversation that i'm having with you about you know about my mom and about family expectations and you know about um you know uh disconnection with family at times and how do you go about healing that and so i was like you know again it reminded me of the the richness and the depth of our conversations and but it also made me think about i i think what is such a strong intention with you about the importance of our 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 storytelling the importance of us telling our stories Yes. Um, I still, and also tie that to also our first conversation about, you said your greatest fear, uh, and again, this was 2012, your greatest fear was actually being invisible. So, you know, tell, you know, talk to me some about, about that, about the, you know, about the fear about invisibility, where that comes from, and then how that connects for you with this, with storytelling. Well, you know, um, when I was in high school, with Providence St. Mill High School on the west side of Chicago, and the uh, sisters who taught us, they would often say, um, often have us reading literature, uh, particularly black literature. These were white nuns, but they had us reading uh, Dick Gregory's No More Lies, uh, Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man, Richard Wright's Black Boy, Native Son. And one of my first books that I fell in love with was Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. And this this notion, this contention of the invisibility of black men. And when I got to college as a freshman, I wrote a piece called I Am a Shadow. Um, I said, because if I were invisible and I walked into a room, no one would react to me because they couldn't see me unless I bumped into them, um, assuming you know I was invisible. But I said, you know, I don't feel invisible as a black man. I have always felt like a shadow in the sense that people are afraid of shadows. 
um, and uh, shadows are looming, shadows um, uh, loom disproportionately. Um, and so um, I've always known that sometimes, even when I got into journalism, there were times when people saw me on the uh, street, but outside of the newsroom, outside of that context, I was just another black man. And so they didn't see me. They didn't look into my eyes, look into my face, see the individual that I was. I think of the movie um, Avatar, and I think they said in their language to say in that fictional piece, to say you love someone is to say, I see you. And um, it is so deep because I think that if we see people, if we see the poor and the indigent, if we see Palestinians, if we see um, people and the humanity being lynched during Jim Crow and beyond, if we see folks beyond being three-fifths of a person, beyond slavery as human beings, then it is difficult to dismiss their humanity. And so I feared, even as a, as a young person, this notion that I had a cloak of kind of invisibility. And I believe one of the ways to counter that, one of the most effective ways, is to tell our stories, to speak, to allow our humanity to shine. Um, when my students uh, a couple years ago did story about the 51 mostly African-American women who were murdered in the city of Chicago, one group believes it is by at least one serial killer. Our primary aim in doing that piece was not to solve those, that, those crimes. It was to humanize these women, to make them visible. Because I think as long as people are invisible, we can dismiss them, we can write them off. My students this semester at Roosevelt University are um, um, re-embarking on something we did some years ago, Our first, my first multimedia project, which is when the city turns cold, what happens to those folks who linger in the shadows, or who live on Lower Wacker Drive, or who with the migrant crisis in Chicago are living in tents and uh, in other places. And so the idea is to humanize. And so I think, you know, in my own writing, and one of the reasons I encourage people to write is, you know, they say that the cemetery is uh, filled with uh, unfulfilled dreams, but the cemetery is also filled with unwritten stories. Mm -hmm. And we have to tell our stories. And we can't allow and resort to uh, rely upon the New York Times and the Washington Post and traditional media to tell our stories because they ain't been telling our stories in the way that they are. <laughs> we have to tell our stories. And the last thing I'll say is going back to the church, you know, I have seen depictions of the Pentecostal church, whether it was Blues Brothers or other Hollywood depictions. And it, it has always bothered me because they make it seem like it is something comical and hyper-spiritual and incomprehensible, and that is simply not the case. And so even in my book, True Vine, I sought to um, relay that experience of what it means to be caught up in the spirit. And, uh, you know, and it's funny, folk, in the, folk outside the sanctified church who grew up outside the sanctified church looking in, they would say, them folk caught the Holy Ghost. 
We ain't never said nobody caught no Holy Ghost. That is not Church of God in Christ, sanctified Pentecostal speak. Nobody said, we might say the spirit fell or the spirit was high or the Holy Ghost fell upon somebody. Mm-hmm. Ain't nobody catching no Holy Ghost. So even like, like the Holy Ghost is running, <laughs> like the Holy Ghost is running. the Holy Ghost, <laughs> and uh, and so and so even in telling that story, it, it makes it for me leaves a record of our visibility that 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 a hundred years from now perhaps someone can can read and to get a better understanding of who we are and the fact that we live. Yeah, so one of the things, too, that I, I th- thought of as you were speaking and then, you you know, you brought it up again about, you know, our experiences, one of our experiences growing up in the church is that um, how people interpret or misinterpret other people's stories. Yeah. And so, um, and clearly you use an example of, of that in terms of how Hollywood you know, de- depicts our stories. But I think for me in, that I want to speak to specifically is the fact that um, that our our laughter to me is indicative of, you know, happy times, joyful times that we that we that we spent in the church. And so yes. it, it it draws forth as I, I've you know, it's, it draws forth um those positive emotions um because it because it was because it was a a happy time and a joy in a joyous memory so i i I wanted to make sure folks understand that (laughs) that our 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 laughter is not one of derision right not making fun of or disrespect but frankly it's one of it you know it reminds of us happy of happy of happy times right i wouldn't trade those times for a million dollars you know, we saw, you know, that's, and, and again, that's the storytelling. We lived it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, um, it was a part of who we were and it is a part of who we are because Absolutely. it, uh, it built us. It is the foundation of us and we get it, you know, and sometimes I was recently, I don't, I don't attend a church of God in Christ anymore, but I was recently at a church of God in Christ, somebody had in, uh, invited me for, for an occasion. And it was like going home, you know? The twanging guitar and the, the hallelujahs and the movement and the clapping. You know, Kojic folk know how to clap on time. Baptist folk don't clap on time. <laughs> Baptist folk can't clap, can't, can't clap Kojic. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We go fast. <laughs> So and, and I'm, I look, I'm I'm real cold. Wait, 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 say, say that again for the folks in the back who just no, came in late. Baptist folk don't know how to clap, clap Kojic. Kojic folk going like this, and Baptist folk trying to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the truth. You say it's just the truth, huh? Uh, they even sing songs a little slower. We'll we'll take you know Jesus, you brought me all the way. You carry uh-huh. my burdens every day. We singing that fast, and then okay. Baptists they slowing it down. <laughs> okay, all right. But but it is it other denominations that's going even slower, right? Yeah, some other denominations which are very nameless. They going even slower. Some of them don't even don't have music. Yes, yeah, so, true. 
True. True. Yes. But, uh, but, 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 but of course the spirit, but, but of course the spirit, the spirit is, ev is everywhere. And yes, um, yes, yes, yes. I, and, I, and that was something I learned when I, when I left the grand old church of God in Christ. So, you know, something else that, that struck me too, as you were talking was also about, um, your efforts in, in the storytelling is about humanizing us, yes. not because we need humanizing, but because to me it's in, in to help others recognize our humanity. Not that we don't have it, not that we need to develop it, but that it's in an effort to help others recognize our humanity. And, um, you know, the thing that I know to be true is when you dehumanize another human being, what must you become in order to do that? But the very thing that you say they are. Yes. So in the dehumanizing another human being, you yourself lose your humanity in order to turn them into that. And so the thing that I think that many people don't recognize is that again, you become the very thing that you say someone else is and that the cost, um, the cost and just to bring it home in terms of, you know, in, in terms of this society is the cost is high, not only because be, because we're treated with inhumanity, we're not allowed to, um, in terms of have the greatest demonstration of that humanity, of our potential, of our purpose. So the society at large suffers because of that loss. But then there's also the loss that society suffers because of the fact that the the folks who are doing it have you know lose their humanity, lose their purpose, lose <clears throat> excuse me, lose the greatest demonstration of their of their infinite potential, and we lose the ability to collaborate again, amplifying what are the gifts and talents of, of each and every one of us is. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I, I think in, in that scenario that you've set up beautifully, I think we all lose. We all lose mm -hmm. when we fail to see the humanity in each other. And um, it sounds really simplistic or it sounds hokey. Um, it isn't a religious principle. It isn't necessarily a religious principle. It is just it's a human principle and it's about, you know, man's inhumanity to man and how do we stop that so that we see each other. You know, as a storyteller, you're right. I, I don't need to humanize my mama or the people in K-Town on the west side of Chicago. Um, I can't make them more human than they already are. But as a storyteller, my aim is exactly what you said. It is to get people to see their mama and my mama, mm -hmm. to understand that she is the same, to, to get people to understand these women who were killed, these 51, they were not a prostitute or a drug addict, as some of the police may say, that that wasn't, uh, even if they were you know, um, involved in prostitution, and that wasn't the case with all of these women. It's just simply not true. 
Um, but saying using those terms allow us to dismiss people. And it was just um, um, our aim again, you know, the aim ultimately is to get people to see their humanity, which exists, whether I show up as a writer or not, it exists. The point is we need to open our eyes and see through these barriers, you know, whether it's cultural, race, racial, whatever it is that prevents us from seeing these folks that makes them invisible to us and their stories. Yeah, so so really the work then, of course, is for each of us, if I, if, if, if I don't see what I like to call it, your unique wonderfulness, yes. the, 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 the issue is that the change has to occur in my perspective. The change has to occur in how I see you or don't see you. And, um, you know, one of the things, because I know so many, so many folks struggle with feeling unworthy because they've internalized other people's perspectives and opinions about them. And then some of what we've made up ourselves about ourselves, about how we're unworthy based upon what we did, didn't do, or what was done to us, that it's, it's, it's important to remember that that no matter what angle I look at you from, I can never see all of you. And, and so, you know, right now, I, you know, with this particular shot, I might only be seeing 20% of you, right? I, I can't see your arms. I can't see your legs and I can't see the back of your head. And so from this perspective, you a double amputee. <laughs> you know, you ain't got no arms. <laughs> but, but I do have arms. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, you got, and you got legs, but I do point, have legs. Yes, <laughs> the, the point is that people can't see all of you, and just because I lack the sight doesn't make it true, it doesn't make it fact, but it does determine how I treat you. That's, That's the right. problem, it determines how I treat you, and of course, if you internalize. If you internalize that belief, then um, then you take over where I left off, even if I have no more contact with you, in yeah. believing that you're a limited being with no arms, no legs, because I only see twenty percent of you. I can't, you know. And so I think it's, it's. I try to tell people what's important to remember is because nobody can see all of you. They cannot tell you all of who you are. What's possible for you. That's because right. there's no angle which I look at you from, none, whether it's from the top, the bottom, the sides, on a dike. I can't see all of you. And if I can't see all of you, how can I tell you all of who you are and what's possible for you? I can't. That's right. And so, you, can't, you can't see my heart and you can't see my soul. Can't, what, what, what did I say? A beautiful masterpiece in the soul of a man. If I lack, if I lack vision, I, I can't see that. Yes. I can't, I cannot see that. So I, um, um, we'll go ahead and, and, and take a break. And then when we come back, we will, we'll, we'll, we'll pick this up. Okay. Heaven right. abounds in you, enlightens, uplifts, inspires, and invites you to live a life that's engaged, 
joyous and limitless, the sweet spot of life. Take this journey in oneness. We are and have all that God, the infinite creative source of the universe is. You are infinite potentiality and the kingdom of heaven is within you. Heaven abounds in you. Dr. Valen A. Durr here, your host of Dr. Durr's Living in the Sweet Spot. And joining me today is my guest, John W. Fountain, an award-winning columnist and journalist and full-tenured professor of journalism at Roosevelt University. And John, before we left and went to the break, um, you know, we were discussing how everybody, you know, wants to be seen, wants to be heard, wants to they want to matter, therefore not be invisible and treat it with the full dignity and respect of their humanity. And how when you are someone who um, is not seen or one of the ways to ensure to, 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 to help be seen is, is to tell is to tell your stories is, yeah. is to tell our stories. Right. And, um, you know, I particularly, I think also, and, and, you know, of course we were talking about too, how we left off talking about how, because no one can see all of us from any angle that they can't, um, they can't tell you all of who you are and all that's possible for you because they can't even see all of you, right? Yes, that's and right. you know, and one of the, one of the things I one of the things I say to people is, other folks may not get your value, and that's okay. It's not that you don't have value; it's that they don't have vision. Hmm, it's a good point. Yes. yes. So come on, somebody. <laughs> well, I, I, I think, you know, you nail, you nail it on the head and, um, you know, they don't have vision. And I think sometimes people don't care or they they don't know that they should care. Mm -hmm. And again, going back to storytelling, that's why it is so important. It is. We all bleed the same. We all have a heart. We all have a soul. We are all a part of the most important race in this on this planet, which is the human race. And, you know, if we get to see that in a way, and let, let me be very practical in this sense. You know, there are times there were times when I was doing my book signings um, of Truvi, my first book. And I would be out and I'd do a reading and the first couple of times it happened to me, I was I was a little shocked and, 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 and didn't know how to react. But it was um, the occasion that someone who did not look like me, who was Caucasian or white, and who was um, a woman, and in some cases elderly, walk up to me and whisper in my ear, thank you for telling my story. And I was like, how is my story your story? Well, you know, in terms of our growing up in poverty, having lack, growing up with fatherlessness and dealing with um, issues of overcoming and 
we all have that as as human beings and so it is so important um to get to that in turn that part in terms of our storytelling and let me just say for for anybody who's listening you don't have to be a quote unquote professional storyteller mm. in order to tell your story well what can i do as the preacher would say i'm glad you asked <laughs> <laughs> What you can do is, I wish I had my cell phone here. I don't have it right handy, but you all have a device, whether it's an Android or an Apple device. You have video recorder there, camera. You have audio recorder there. And sometimes I like to keep my phone near me because I will have an idea in the middle of the night or I'm driving and I can jot it down. You can leave messages for uh, for three generations by speaking into your cell phone, by having someone uh, uh, or setting your phone on a tripod and recording the story of what it was like growing up in your little town or in your house. Because let me tell you, if you do not leave record of that story, you're relying on someone else to tell it. And it is so important. Imagine if right now you could go to an archive and some may be able to do this. Go to an archive and listen to your great-great-grandfather or great-great-grandmother talk or see them. And um, we are in a generation now where we have that ability. And so uh, I haven't even talked about putting pen to paper, but that's just something you could do right there on the regular and keep a volume of those those precious files for generations. Tell the story. And so, you know, something you two brought up that um, uh, that I, I just really kind of get a delight of in terms of the, the historical importance of what you're saying, too, is I, w- I said to my mother, I said, I said, I said, Mom, you know, so since since, since your big girl has, has published, you know, my book, <laughs> The Bounds in You, I said, guess what that means? She's like, what? I said, that means I'm in the Library of Congress. That's it. That's it. <laughs> It's a big deal. Yes. 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 So I, um, and so, and and so again, to have that kind of legacy and that his, you know, that the historical nature and traceability of our stories, you know, matters. And I, one of the things I just wanted to throw out there real quickly um, was to one of the things I find in people asking me about, you know, about writing there, say, how long did it take? And I said, 16 months. Like, really? I'm, I'm like, yeah, because I would do because I would do what you talked about doing. Yes. I would have um, I would have my phone by my bed. And a lot of times for me, what I you know, I meditate before I go to sleep. And so when I started to meditate, then, you know, then as I say, you know, here here comes the wisdom. Here comes the intelligence, because even in writing the book, I just said, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but spirit does. And then the content started flowing in two weeks. You know, a lot of people ask, they're like, they, they're surprised. They think I studied writing. Like, did you major in English or creative writing? No, I sure didn't. Well, when did you start writing? When I started writing the book? <laughs> I mean, other than, other than, you know, the scientific stuff, the, you know, yes. term papers, whatever, whatever those kind of, that kind of thing, but not create what I would call creative writing. That didn't start until I said yes to spirit and then the content started flowing two weeks later. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, so have, have 
you know, whether it's your phone, whether I'd also keep, um, you know, a, a, a a booklet nearby or something to write on. Sometimes I write because I like pen and paper. Sometimes I write from my um, my laptop. And um, again, you know, I would imagine to just be thinking, contemplating about things sometimes and stuff would come to me. So you start writing. And so I think it was also just my allowing that energy to flow freely through me that enabled me to to do to do it in a relatively short period of time especially since i was working full-time right so um and sometimes i'd wake up it'd be three o'clock in the morning <laughs> yeah right so uh so one i would encourage folks just to to allow the, the 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 spirit the spirit or the inner urgings i call it when it comes to telling your stories or the stories of others just to flow freely through you unobstructed by your fear and your doubt and disbelief um and the, the other part to that too though is um people confuse they, they they're like i don't know how to write well well one you can get an editor or somebody to do that but the other part too that i try to encourage them is is and i try to give them a scientific understanding writing and editing are two different functions of your brain That's so right. write dump it out dump That's it all right. out and then edit later right that, and that so, is yeah as a, as a as a as a professor what i tell students i ask who has who gets writer's block and inevitably you know half the class at least raise it raises their hand and i said let yeah. me give you the cure for writer's block uh, there's a reason I, I don't get writer's block. I said, because, uh, they said, why? I said, because uh, I would starve to death. <laughs> I would, I wouldn't have so number one, I can't get writer's block. I said, but let me tell you how I cured it. It is exactly what you said. It is that we are doing, trying to do several processes at once. We're writing, editing, and rewriting. And I said, the way you should do it is allow yourself to be imperfect. I say, if some of you were sitting there watching a sculptor sculpt, he had, a, he had clay in front of them. And, and, um, and I said, and you saw another sculptor and he had no clay. He's just moving his hands. <laughs> you would think that's strange. So the idea is to get that mound of clay out in front of you, which is what you said, to get that writing, that first draft, however rough it is, and to do what I call a kind of, what we call stream of consciousness writing, where you allow yourself to write and permit yourself to make mistakes. Don't go back and correct anything. Just write it as it comes. And since I'm on this lesson, if you're going to be writing about your own life, let me give you a perfect place to start. Begin with your earliest childhood memory. Mm. And write in scene. Tell us what it looked like. Tell us what it smelled like. What was cooking on the stove if breakfast was going on? What were the sounds and the voices there? And chances are what you recall as your earliest childhood memory probably wasn't. But there is some reason that is crystallized in your mind and your soul as your earliest childhood memory. And just go from there. Yeah. So to, so to your point, too, the other thing that I, I realized was I said, I know women and I understand women. Right. Mm -hmm. 
I said, so what do I need to do in order to engage the men? Oh boy, men, men that y'all are very visual, right? Yes. And 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 there's very much that physicality and carnality that y'all relate to. So I said, so what I need to do is I need to engage you on as many senses as possible. Mm. And and so and then I would let uh, men folk in my village read read you know read my writing. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, they would be like, where's the rest of it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you have them hooked. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes, yes. And, yes. you know, or they would say, I can see myself in, in here, right? So whether I'm writing poetic prose or prose or poetry, I can mm. see myself in the story with and some, some, you know, some, some, you know, some of the stuff is, is, um, uh, you know, with a certain person, um, mm-hmm. they would say, and, um, you know, or there, there is a uh, something I wrote again this in, um, uh, in my book, Heaven Abounds in You, and I think it's in the chapter mm-hmm. about acceptance, and I'm talking about taking a walk through the forest, and uh, again, I read it to. Um, one of my friend's husbands and and she was like as i read the story about taking the walk through the forest she's like he's just sitting here with his eyes closed and head leaning back <laughs> <laughs> you know cuz yeah, he literally, you know literally i guess could feel himself in it so yeah. that's the importance of writing with so much detail about right. setting the the sounds the smells the um the feel of things in addition to what you're you know visually seeing describing that to the, the best of your ability so right. um so 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 let's get into that let's get into your actually your your latest book um because again that too is about storytelling and then i also like again to kind of See, you know, see what the connection is also to telling the, the stories of, of our of our ancestors. So your latest book is One in a Million, A Diary of a Free Black Journalist. And, um, you know, also the, the is that is, is that also connected to the, your trip to Ghana, which I know is hugely important in, in your own development and storytelling? In some ways, you know, it is going to go to Ghana. But it is really about, you know, if you read Truvine, you don't read a lot about my journalism experience. And this is really my, I would call it a journalism memoir. And I think that even though it is focused on my career in journalism, I think it it, it also just will probably, in all likelihood, resonate with folks who have just done, you know, who have entered corporate America and what that experience is like you know, as an African-American. And um, it, it, is, it is really about my, my journey to be free as a, uh, in my writing as a voice. And I will tell you, um, as, a, as, a, uh, as a peek into the uh, development of the book, is that what I can tell you is that I have and am continuing to evolve as a writer who is free 
One of the things that happens when you go to journalism school is they tell you how to write. They teach you about inverted pyramids structure. They teach you about the various forms of news writing and, and the foundation uh, foundational principles of journalism. Um, and what I think happens to so many of us collectively is that we are in there teaching us how to write we develop these voices that exist kind of inside our head about what is right to write. And then you find yourself in an American newsroom where you realize that there are certain stories that don't get told and that there is no uh, appetite within the newsroom, within the publication, within the editorial uh, pages for the kinds of things that you want to say. And they're not anything lewd and, and lascivious or anything like that. They mm -hmm. are just, again, our truths. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I tell my students is that journalism does not require you to leave your, your uh, perspective on the curbside of American journalism. And yet I find that so many times we do. Now that said, some people will say, well, isn't journalism about objective truth? Well, I have never written a, an objective story in my life, and I've been writing for 40 years, and I will never write an objective story. Um, we believe in objective truth, but as journalists, we assume that exists, but we seek out facts to allow us to get as close as we can to the truth. And so um, there is no place for my perspective on my stories that I do as a news writer, but as a columnist in my other writing, there is a place for that. And what I found myself was struggling along the way. And I didn't realize that that was what was happening when I was in that journey. You know, um, again, newsrooms are no different than, than the rest of America. They see Black folk and they don't understand Black folk. And some mm -hmm. folks don't want to understand who we are. And so the struggle is to, is to be authentic, to thine own self be true, and to speak your truths. And, you, you know, we talked earlier about um, how there is often a price to pay when you speak your truth. And, um, and so it's about that evolution. I'm not a free Black journalist. I'm a freed Black journalist. I've been set free. <laughs> So yeah, so I think to your to uh, to your point is two things. Um, um, one, one of the reasons I think that people struggle with one answering their calling, uh, especially when it means and telling the truth, because being a truth teller costs. Yeah. Um, but being in service costs too is all is that it's what am I going to have to sacrifice? And, and obviously when you have to confront, um, the economic and racial disparities in this country, in order to tell the truth, to be a truth teller, it can cost you your life, frankly. Yes. But I think the thing too, again, is in here in this country, um, the sacrifice that people of color have made as a whole is that we continue to be 
that mirror reflection that says America is not living up to her, yes. her ideals and her principles. Mm -hmm. And that in order to be the best of, of who we say we are as a, as a society and as a country, that um, there's some ways of thinking and behaving that we're going to have to let go of. And yes, while there is the hatred, I think also inherent in the things that you talk about, there's clearly the hatred and the dehumanizing behavior that we experience, but also a large contributor and, and as equally damaging, if not more damaging, is people's indifference to yeah. the struggle and suffer of those that have less than, because we're the, the person is not less than. That's right. But their circumstances and their experiences are, are are less than in the sense of, you know, painful, struggling, trauma. But to me, it's people's indifference to that, the their unwillingness to see, let me see things from your perspective, what you've been experiencing, what's happened to you, uh, why the reasons for that, as opposed to by saying. Uh, no, that didn't happen. Yes. And so I think I hear that a lot in terms of you, in terms of the least of how I hear or interpret the things that you talk about in terms mm -hmm. of the social justice is awakening the folks that are indifferent. Because the yes. folk, folks who have the overt hatred, we we might get them to change their perspective. A lot yes. of times not. That's but right. it's the ones who are indifferent to our our humanity, our, our suffering uh, and, our, and, and, and our humanity. And, you know, compounding uh, that, that issue of indifference, it was, a, it was a rude awakening for me to accept the fact that folk, a lot of folk who were indifferent were folk who looked like us. <laughs> and getting really? people to be, yes, getting folks like us to be, who are African-American to be sensitized to the issues, you know? It is like, you know, I am seeing right now a number of black ministers across the country talking mm -hmm. about um, the uh, war in Gaza and mm -hmm. calling for a ceasefire. And they're on CNN and, and all of these places. And I'm like, well, what about the war on the streets in America? I'm not saying that you can't do both, but where are you when when thousands of, of, of black folk are being slain in the street by black folk every year, then yeah, we care about those who are slain by police officers, but that indifference runs deep and, 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 and humanizing us. And women, I just, and I just have to throw this in there. Yes. John, more than the folks that are being slain in the streets are those yes. who are being car are incarcerated. Amen. Far amen. outnumber. Amen. Amen. Look, look, we got a lot of issues. We got a lot of wars. We got a lot of fronts. But I think, and I, I'm not. Are you trying to tell folks to come see me? <laughs> <laughs> they need to. They come. They need to come get some, 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 some help with their, with, with their, their brain health and, and, <laughs> and get some transformative thinking. Right. Yes. Well, we, we, we all need that. And you know, as I, I said earlier. You know, what, whatever the situation, no matter how dire it is, you know, I believe in keep, that we must keep hope alive. 
So yeah, so we just here in these 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 last few seconds that that we've got. I I think that um, you know, it's just simply you know what 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 are you saying about you know the the importance of our, our of for us of our of our storytelling. I know that you're also actually teaching a class on memoir writing right now, um, which I thought the unique thing about that was it was also open to folks not actually enrolled uh, at Roosevelt, and um, and then of course you know. Um, you know how folks get in touch with you and your and your plan and also you know the the not-for-profit that you have well if they um, simply go to um, johnwfountain.com or John W. Fountain on facebook or instagram uh, social media you'll find me there and uh, you can just google me and find out what's going on and, and you're also uh, on x and you're also on x, x x formerly known as twitter yes yes <laughs> and, and uh, so so i'm there but I would just tell folks just to write your story. It doesn't have to be, you know, um, in the in the in the same kind of uh, literary prowess as James Baldwin or Maya Angelou. But, but write your story. Tell your story because no one is is uh, more qualified to tell your story than you are. Tell your story. So, so th thank you, my brother, for your for your presence, you. for your brilliance, for your eloquence, and again for your 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 service to um, to us as a community, the service to the whole, and being uh, the the conscious that calls uh, America and all of its citizens to. Um, their, their highest demonstration of humanity. I thank you. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Just trying to do what I can. And, you. And, and you are doing it well, so thank you. Thank you very much. I am your host, Dr. Balin A. Durr, awakening and empowering you to live out your infinite potential, to live life in the sweet spot. I'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today in the sweet spot. Share, follow, and like us on social media. To learn more, please visit balinadurmd.com spelled B-A-L-I-N-A-D-U-R-R-M-D.com. Join us next week. And remember, when you heal your mind, all things are possible. <laughs>